Hello and welcome to Indie Stars Politics Podcast. I'm Greg Weaver and I'm here today with uh, reporters James Briggs, Brian Eason, Tony Cook, and Chelsea Schneider. And we're going to kick things off today by talking about uh, the big announcement last week by Salesforce regarding its expansion in Indianapolis. And uh, James, can you just tell us a little bit about what they're going to be doing here in the city? Yeah, two things. There's a jobs component and a real estate component. Uh, They're taking a huge amount of space, about 250,000 square feet in what's now known as Chase Tower. Uh, This deal also includes naming rights, so they're planning to rename it Salesforce Tower uh, when they start moving in early next year. And on the job side, uh, Salesforce is planning to add 800 new jobs uh, by 2021. So uh, one of the interesting political wrinkles about Salesforce deciding to make this expansion is that it's been one of the leading corporate uh, forces behind uh, pushing for gay rights in Indiana. Um, and there was some suggestion at the press conference that, um, that this would not have happened uh, had the state not uh, fixed uh, potential damages that could have been caused by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. How real was that in bringing Salesforce's expansion to to the city? Well, if you take Salesforce to heart, there there was no ambiguity there. There, uh, Scott McCorkle, uh, the local CEO, said that this expansion would not be happening if the so-called fix had not gone into effect last year. Uh, they cited the RIFRA fix, and they also cited Indianapolis's local ordinance as the reasons that they're following through with this expansion. And uh, the fix essentially just protected uh, local ordinances that provided protections against LGBT discrimination. Salesforce has also been outspoken in um, its push for broader gay rights protections across the state. And I just wonder, uh, Tony, do you think that that uh, Salesforce's decision to come here uh, su- ends up supporting the governor's argument that there's really, there's really no economic damage uh, in not having uh, statewide protections against uh, uh, discrimination. Yeah, I mean, you've heard you've heard lawmakers, for example, who support who supported RIFRA, make this argument that you know, forty percent of the state's population, most of its largest cities, are covered by local non-discrimination ordinances. And in the rural areas, maybe people don't want it. And so let's just leave everything as is. We don't need statewide protections. Um, So I think that there's already that argument there. And this move by Salesforce seems to suggest that they are willing to invest in a place as long as it's in a city that has a statewide ordinance or that has LGBT protections, regardless of whether the state as a whole does. So... I think that's the message that it sends, and I think that's going to embolden lawmakers, Republican lawmakers who oppose statewide protections, to just double down. Um, and I think it does bolster Pence's argument that the damage isn't as bad as people say. I mean, that's a, this is a significant investment. Um, you know, it's not like they're just opening a you know coffee shop downstairs. I mean, it's 800 jobs and uh, and a lot of money being invested in downtown real estate. So I think it makes it harder for Pence's opponents to argue that he caused 
this big, you know, economic problem with RIFRA. At the same time, uh, the, the press conference uh, gave Salesforce a platform to speak about uh, expanded protections in Indiana. They, uh, Scott McCorkle said that he wants to see a statewide anti-discrimination law, and it gave this expansion gave him the opportunity to stand literally right next to Governor Pence and talk about RIFRA, which that they were very critical of. So, in a, in a way, even though they're expanding and this might uh, fuel the argument that uh, RIFRA is not hurting business long term, it's also giving this one business in particular a much larger platform now from which to talk about its position that uh, it, it, Salesforce believes Indiana needs an, a statewide anti-discrimination law. Yeah, I think it, uh, it seems like there are two arguments you could make about about Salesforce's decision to expand here. One is it gives them a bigger place at the table uh, to continue to push for gay rights in Indiana uh, because they've invested so much here. That's certainly one argument you could make, and it's certainly an argument that the CEO has made after uh, after it was announced that that uh, Chase Tower would be renamed Salesforce Tower. The CEO tweeted out that. He thought it should it should just as equally be named Equality Tower, to show the 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 company's commitment to gay rights. That's so that's certainly one argument you could make. I think the other argument you could make is that it might just as easily be called Sell Out Tower, because you're getting, you know, you have a company that says that that one of its core principles is gay rights. Um, the state throws seventeen million dollars at them, and they decide to to expand here. But certainly it's a business decision, ultimately. It's about the bottom line. It's about the benefits of doing business in Indiana and the tax breaks you receive as a company when you move here. Um, So, I mean, we'll see how true Salesforce's commitment is to the issue over the course of the next several months as we head into the next legislative session. I think that's when we will ultimately know just how committed they are to the issue and can make better uh, judgments at that time about what's really transpired here. So um, the other thing I wanted to talk about today is is uh, some of the uh, speculation about who Donald Trump's uh, vice presidential running mate might be. Um, there was a report in Politico this week that uh, two Indiana names had surfaced, uh, Dan Coates and Mike Pence. And... Um, we know from uh, the reporting of Maureen Grappi, our Washington correspondent, that that doesn't really appear to be all that likely. Um, so what do you guys take from uh, from Dan Coates and Mike Pence's comments that they don't want to be VP with Trump? Um, yeah, I mean, if nothing else, Coates's comments were pretty entertaining. I think one of his... Uh, Spokespeople said he already has huge plans for 2017 that include spending the summer at Wrigley Field cheering on the cheering on the Cubs. Um, so you know, I don't know. I guess you could read that and say, well, he didn't he didn't flat out say no. But I don't think either of these guys match up very well ideologically with Pence. Both have been, or I'm sorry, Trump, and I think both have been critical of Trump, you know, in the in the months leading up to Indiana's primary. Now they're trying to, you know, coalesce around their their nominee the best they can. But I don't think you see uh, either of these guys looking to Trump as, you know, a leader who they feel like they could work alongside as a VP. Um, at the same time, you know, political opportunism does exist out there in the world. And um, if either of them were actually offered the position, you know, I wouldn't put my money 
on them necessarily rejecting it flat out. I yeah. think they would at least consider it. Yeah, I think you'd have to say that, that Coates pretty flatly ruled it out. I mean, he his answer was not only a no, but it was a mocking no. Um, that he's not <laughs> he's not interested in being Trump's running mate. Uh, Mike Pence's uh, response was certainly a was certainly a no, but you could see where there might be room to maneuver if uh, if a real offer was made uh, to him. <laughs> so, well, uh, speaking of running mates, um, Mike Pence's former running mate Sue Elsperman. Uh, there's news about her in the past week uh, and the likelihood that she will become the next president of Ivy Tech, uh, which was the job that she said she wanted when she decided to resign from the lieutenant governor's office uh, under Mike Pence. Uh, Chelsea, uh, what's going to happen in the next few days that where we'll find out who the, who the president is? Well, the Ivy Tech Board of Trustees is set to take a final vote on who will become the university's next president on Wednesday. But what we've seen is, you know, last week, the trustees board met in a private meeting where they interviewed three finalists for the position. And from that, you know, the chairwoman told us this week that Sue Elsterman is a top candidate, if not the top candidate. So I really think that signals when the trustees board, you know, meets on Wednesday that Elsterman will be their choice to be the university's next president. You know, and from that, we also spoke to another finalist, you know, James King, who has a long track record in working in community college systems, who's basically saying, you know, I'm out. I was told I'm out. But oh, by the way, when they told me that, they also said that Elsperman was their choice. So I guess we'll know that publicly this upcoming Wednesday. Right. So, I mean, since it's been several months ago since Sue Elsperman stepped down to say that she was she wanted the Ivy Tech job and then Ivy Tech went through this whole search process for a new president. I mean, what does this say about the process if you ended if you end up where inevitably everybody thought you were going to end up? Definitely. Well, I think it's been a very interesting process for the community college. You know, Tom Snyder back in the fall is either September, October. He said, hey, I'm retiring. So they launched this huge search process where they did all these statewide, you know, community listening tours. They hired a pretty reputable search firm, you know, the same firm that helped Purdue University hire, you know, former Governor Mitch Daniels. Um, you know, paying them a pretty good chunk of change. And, you know, they accepted applications, you know, a nationwide search. But through this, it really became some sort of wrinkle when Sue Elsperman decided to go for the job. You know, Governor Pence, who appoints all the members of the Ivy Tech board, was like, hey, this is the person who I think would be best for the job. So I guess we've kind of come to the conclusion that you know, from February to mid-March, we thought that they were going to anyways. So um, I asked James King, you know, one of the other finalists, you know, do you think that the process used to select the next president was fair? I mean, he said that he did think, you know, he had kind of a fair shot of it. But I think as soon as, you know, Governor Pence said, you know, she's my choice, you know, even though I don't want to circumvent, you know, what the board decides, I mean, you know, she she's got it, you know. Right. So and so we'll, we'll get the official news on Wednesday. Yeah. So, well, the other big news this week is that uh, Mayor Joe Hogsett in his first um, State of the City address announced that he's going to push for a new jail. Um, and I'm just curious, Brian, what what makes this proposal any more likely to become reality than what we've seen in the last several years? Well, not to be cynical, but you have a Democrat proposing it. 
with a Democrat-controlled council and a Democrat sheriff. Um, but look, I mean, uh, yes, it's a new jail. We've been talking about this for decades now. Um, the thing that I think Hogsett was very careful to wrap this proposal around was broader criminal justice reform. Um, it's stuff like, and, and this is, I, I think this is, not to be overlooked, this is pretty big coming from a federal prosecutor whose job was to put people in jail. He's saying now, maybe we don't need to put everybody in jail. Maybe we can stick drug offenders in treatment. Maybe we could can do the same thing with folks with mental health issues. Maybe we can monitor really minor offenders at home. I mean, these are big things that I think he did to quell some of the community opposition to the criminal justice center. There, there were really two issues that, that killed the criminal justice center. One was costs. Uh, Mayor Ballard's folks will tell you that it paid for itself and don't worry about the, the big price tag as it's over 35 years. But I mean, it was a big number and $1.75 billion is, is a scary prospect. The other thing is it will help quell a lot of this community backlash of People don't want to add more jail cells. People, especially in, in the black community and some of the low-income communities, I mean, they see their family members in jail for 20, 30 years, and they get out, and they can't find jobs, and they go right back into the system. So Leroy Robinson, who's a fairly prominent Democratic councilman, told us earlier this week he's not interested in, in new jail cells unless it's part of broader criminal justice reform. And Hogsett's comments last night really spoke to that. Do you have any sense yet as to what um, the response is going to be from the city county council to this proposal? Generally favorable last night. And the, the other thing is, I mean, it, it's just got to be dealt with. I mean, it, you've got to do something. There are 49 cells left, basically, in the entire criminal justice system in Marion County. We're already spending a lot of money to send inmates to other counties. I mean, what do you do? You can either let people go or you can build more cells. And the way that the, the jail is now, it is, a, it, is a, is a, it is extremely wasteful, according to everyone who has studied this. I mean, the Ballard administration believed that uh, the sheriff's office wastes millions each year on inmate health care, you know, they have to they they're shuttling inmates off to the hospitals for very minor ailments now. Um, they think they waste millions on staffing because the setup is so bad that they have to have more staff than you would you might expect in a modern facility. Uh, and they're wasting money on maintenance. I mean, it's a 50 year old facility stuff breaks. And uh so with this plan going forward, are we expecting to have some sort of a decision by the end of the year? What's the timetable? They're, they're supposed to adopt a set of recommendations by the end of the year, whether that means we're going to adopt a plan to pay for it and bond out on it. That's all up in the air. They, they've just said that they want, before the end of the year, a set of, a set of holistic reform recommendations adopted. I'll probably include a jail. Does it mean that construction is going to start this year or next year? Probably not. Um, but it does mean that they're trying to get the ball rolling as soon as possible. All right. Well, certainly the, the debate over the new jail is something we'll be following closely over the course of the next several months. 
So we thank everybody for tuning in. That's all we have this week on Indie Stars Politics Podcast. Yeah.